If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Cause Church and welcome to our series titled Route 66, where we are walking through all 66 books of the Bible. Thank God, not all in one day. But we started last week and we delved into the book of Genesis. And today we're going to the next one, Exodus. We haven't been everywhere as Johnny Cash has yet, but we will get through all of these books. And I've laid out a course for us, a map to navigate our way uh, in order that uh, we can take a peek into these books without covering the entire book. It's, it's uh, very difficult to cover the entire book, so uh, it takes a long time. So what we're going to do is highlight some places in these books with this map, and I've uh, made an acronym out of the word MAP. The word M stands for memento. We're, as we trip through the Bible, journey through the Bible, we're going to pick up souvenirs or mementos along the way. And these are meant to take into our homes, into our lives, and to apply them to our life. Last week's truth that we came across was that no matter, from the story of Joseph, that wherever I am, wherever I am, the Lord is with me. How many of you spent some time thinking about that this week? All right, well, don't lie to me. Don't, if, you, if you didn't, don't raise your hand, all right? Spend some time meditating on it, praying, thanking God that he's with you, confessing it over your life, uh, and making yourself aware that as you go, so does he. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And, uh, and because of that, it doesn't matter what comes against you, no matter what kind of circumstances you may face, challenges may rise, you have the victory because the greater one is on the inside of you. The Lord is with you. And then uh, the attraction, the A stands for attraction. This is where we go and see the big things throughout the scriptures in, some, in these books. There are lots of big things in these books, and we have to pick one. Uh, a place to go visit and see what we must see. And uh, so last week, that attraction was uh, the creation of the world. We needed to look at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that is true. And because that's true, all of the rest of the book is true. Hallelujah. And then we talked, to, then we're always looking, the P is the person of Jesus. All throughout the scriptures, in the Old Testament, we see Christ concealed, but in the New Testament, he is a lot easier to see, Christ revealed. But all throughout the, the entire book, it's all pointing to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he is the word. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So we're looking for the person of Jesus, something to explore, something to discover throughout this great series. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to log uh, this course, uh, write these things down, write a journal, whatever it is, take good notes, because you're going to have a good synopsis of the entire Bible by the time we're finished with this series, okay? And so welcome to all of you who are with us for the very first time today. We're honored to have you, and uh, just know that we always have a place for you, and we pray that your time here with us today would be one where you would be inspired, that you would have a marvelous encounter with God, and be built and encouraged on His everlasting Word. Amen. Praise God. So let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We're going to look at today's memento. What we're going to bring home for this week to meditate on, to chew on, to declare, to confess, to think about is found in Exodus chapter 4. I spent many, many hours in this book. Many hours in this book. It's a marvelous book. And had to narrow it down to these few truths to get to you today. And uh, I love the story here in, in 
Exodus chapter 4. Now, before we jump into that, I need to give you a little um, background onto why Moses starts the conversation off in verse 1 like this. That is that Moses had, uh, had been rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, as you know, and, and was raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian, although he was a Hebrew. And uh, at that time, the children of Israel were under slavery to the Egyptians, very harsh, harsh slavery, beaten and had to work rigorously from morning till night. And uh, I mean, just back-breaking labor every day for over 400 years they had been there. And they, they cried out to God and the Lord visited Moses. Now Moses had, was 40 years old when one day he looked out of a window of his house and saw an Egyptian slave taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And so he, he went and defended that Hebrew and ended up killing the Egyptian and uh, buried him in the sand and fled for his life. And he spent the next 40 years working for a man by the name of Jethro who became his father-in-law because he married Jethro's daughter whose name was Zipporah. And uh, Moses was a sheep herder. And so one day he's on the back of the desert with the sheep, tending the sheep, and lo and behold, the angel of the Lord, the scripture says, appeared in this bush and it was, it was on fire, but yet it wasn't being consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn and go see this great sight, why this bush doesn't burn. And as he approached it, the Lord spoke to him from that burning bush and said, Moses, and Moses was greatly afraid. And he said, take off your shoes. The place where you stand is holy ground. And then the Lord began to tell him what he was going to do. And his plan for the children of Israel, he said, I've heard their cry, and you're going to be the man. You're going to be my man that's going to go there to Egypt, and you're going to bring them out into a land which I have promised your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. Now, we get to verse or chapter 4 and verse 1, and this is Moses' response to this experience. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Verse 2. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Yeah, you better know God is talking to you. <laughs> When he says, reach down and pick up that snake. There are whole churches <laughs> that do this very thing right here. Cody Brown can tell you all about it. And he, and he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, and I'm sure he was quite relieved. Hmm, what is that in your hand, the Lord said? Now, didn't Jesus, didn't God know what was in his hand? Of course he knew what was in his hand. But he needed Moses to take a moment right there and recognize what he already had. And that what God would do with that which was in his hand. Today's memento that I want you to take in home with you in this trip through Exodus is, the miracle is in your hand. The miracle is is in your hand. Let's just personalize it and say, the miracle, the miracle is in my hand. Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look at that hand. The miracle, the miracle. is in my hand. Go on, raise your other one too. The miracle is in my hand. Say it like you believe it today. The miracle is in my hand. All right? 
Now, all that Moses had known concerning that rod at this time was that he could use it as a walking stick. The rod to a shepherd was used, though, to beat away any predators that would try to come and harm or kill his sheep. But today he would learn something new about that thing which was in his hand. And that if God was in the deal with him, then God could take that stick, that stick in his hand, and deliver, use it as a tool to deliver the people of God out of slavery. What a marvelous thought. See, you, you might not think that what's in your house and what's in your hand is very much. Hey, that's actually quite good. That's actually quite good. The very fact that it's small, the very fact that it seems insignificant, put it in the hands of God and watch what he can. Moses simply had a stick, ladies and gentlemen. That's all he had. What's in your house? What is it that you might be overlooking? What what is it that you might be thinking is not important but is very important when you put it in the hands of God? If you'll see it as a miracle, if you'll see it as potentially helping someone, changing a situation, turning a situation around, anything is possible. If God can take a stick and put it in the hand of a man to deliver a nation, he can do whatever with that which is in your hand. But you've got to believe that. You have, a, you have to have an expectation. You have to see what God is seeing. The miracle is in your hand. And it just might be in your house right now. Maybe in a box up in the attic in your house. Tawana Bolden is a very faithful member of our church. Her husband Steve is on our board and I was in India about three years ago, and I was riding around with the pastor that we support there, and we've been doing pastor's conference there for a few years at that time, and I'm looking, and I see kids everywhere. We're in the very southern part of India, driving around, and I told him, I said, my heart just went out to those kids. And I said, next year when we come, I would really like to do a kid's crusade, something like that for the children along with the pastor's conference. He got very excited about it, and he said, let's do it. So I came home and I told our church just about the desire of my heart to do that, not only to minister to the pastors, but do something for these children. Very little children. I mean, you guys have it good. You really do have it good. Yeah, thank you for your enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, your kids have it really good. They, they, these kids here, they don't have the kind of things that our children do. They just, they just don't. They don't experience the kind of church that our kids experience. And uh, they're just kind of... You know, I was raised kind of like those Indian kids. I mean, not that poor, but I'm just saying that we didn't have kids' church back then, right? Our kids' church was a coloring book and get under the chair and shut your mouth until service is over. I mean, that's how it was, and just stay quiet. <laughs> but now we had, <laughs> well, if, I didn't use, if we didn't have a coloring book, we were going to mark in the hymnals, so my parents made sure we had something to color, color on. Uh, as preachers' kids, we find things to write on, don't we? But yeah, <laughs> things to tear up. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I came home and I just announced it to our church. And Tawana was sitting there, and she she was telling me this. She said, "I asked the Lord, Lord, what do I have in my house? How can I help?" And she caught a vision. She's very, uh, huh? Crafty. crafty. Yes, crafty is the word. Artsy, artsy, crafty. Yeah, she's got all these arts and crafts. And uh, so she began to look around her house and realized that she had all this material. And so she got a vision for a doll. How many of you helped in making those dolls? Let me see your hands here. 
So she pulled all these people in with her, amongst others, and they ended up constructing this doll for the children in India, making a thousand of them. 1,500 hours of labor later, it was done. And so we took those dolls to India. Actually, we were only able to take about 800 of those thousand to India. And uh, at this kids' conference, over three days, by day three, we had 500 children there at the crusade. A hundred children gave their lives to Christ. Many of them were filled with the Spirit. Many of them were healed of their sicknesses. I mean, instantaneous healings. It was a marvelous, marvelous time. And uh, we realized that we were onto something with the kids' ministry there. And so we're going to be doing more and more for the kids that way. And they distributed the dolls to these kids. These kids went nuts over these dolls. I mean, it was a marvelous thing. This woman just thought, what is in my house? And let me tell you something. That's what helped draw the crowd. The first day we had about 150 kids or so, or maybe 200 kids. And they kept telling them, on day three, we've got a special gift for you. And as a result, they started spreading the word. And 500 kids by day three were there ready to get that gift in their hand. Because a woman sitting in McKinney, Texas says, what do I have in my house? What can I do? Because it could change everything. For you. Say it with me. The miracle, the miracle is in my hand. In my hand. Say it again. The miracle, the miracle is in my, hand. in my hand. Yes, it might be the simple miracle of laying your hands on the sick and seeing them recover. It might just be your hand itself. As a matter of fact, it is a sign of the believer. Amen. It might be a trade. It might be a musical instrument as we heard this morning. Man, those guys were awesome today, weren't they? It might be a pen in your hand for writing books, a paintbrush. Uh, arts and crafts, anything is possible, and it has the great possibility to change the world. Believe God and expect miracles to happen with what you have in your hand. Peter simply said this, I don't even have silver and gold. I don't have anything in my hand, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Say this with me. The miracle is in my hand. Miracles of healing. Miracles of deliverance. Miracles of provision. I give what I have in my hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 14. I want you to take that thought home with you. Mull it over all this week. Talk to your children about it. The miracle is in your hand. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 14. Now we're going to go to the must see. Kind of a play on words. Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel have been delivered after God has sent the ten plagues, and we'll look at those in just a moment, and now they find themselves standing before the great Red Sea. They're encompassed about on each side with mountainous walls. The sea is before them, and verse 10 says, and when Pharaoh drew near, the, children, uh, the Egyptians woke up when the children of Israel left and all their labor force had been gone. And not only had their labor force left their country, but they also took all of their goods with them, their gold, their silver, and all of their fine clothing. The Israelis asked of them and God made sure that the Egyptians freely gave it to them. So they completely plundered Egypt. And it's like they came out of this fog and Pharaoh said, what have we done? So they armed their army and they began uh, pursuit of the children of Israel. 
All right. Behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Verse 12, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. 13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. Hear this? Do not be afraid, stand still. Isn't that interesting that he's telling people who are standing still to stand still? There's no place for him to go. The sea's before them, the mountains are on each side, and Pharaoh's army is behind them. Thank you for that Obvious statement, Captain Obvious. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Jump down to 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand. Now, the few verses before that, and these verses that we skipped, that the Lord actually gave him special instruction to stretch out the rod over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. 22. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. It really did happen. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels. So they drove them with great difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand over the sea that the waters may come back again upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched his hand out over the, stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen. And all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. It was exactly as Moses said, you will never again see them. In one moment of time, when all the odds were stacked against Israel, when they had no way of escape, they needed God more than ever. Destruction, certain destruction, was looming over them. And Moses said, stand still and watch what God will do. Amen. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Let me remind you today that just because you don't see a way does not mean there is not a way. Amen. Hmm? That's why we have this story here so that we can know that there is always a way as long as God is in our lives. Amen. And he is in our lives. And God, because he sees the ways, he sees ways you don't see. He saw the road under the sea. They didn't see the road. Couldn't see it. He saw it. And he knows ways that you don't know. He tells Moses to stretch his rod over the sea. And lo and behold, there's the road. Dry ground. The sea divides and the children of Israel walk through the very middle of that divided sea on dry ground. The road was their deliverance from all of those years of bondage and slavery and oppression. On the other side of that Red Sea, 
There waited for them an inheritance. There waited for them a land of promise. There waited for them a land that was promised to their fathers before, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but especially to Abraham when God said, get up out of your country and I'll show you a land and you shall inherit that land. And now 430 years later, they're just on the brink of it. They cross through that sea and are just there on the cusp of that promised place. Hallelujah. There's hope there. They've come into freedom, sin, and death and eternal destruction was surrounding all of us. There was no way that we could get out of our sinful condition. There was nothing we could do to get God's attention. We could not do enough good works because we were so jacked up on the inside. It wasn't our actions that was our problem. We had become sinners. We were sinners by birth, not because of our actions. Our condition was jacked up. It was screwed up. And so God, praise God Almighty, helped us. He made a way for us. He opened up a way so that all of us could be delivered from this bondage of sin and death. We could be delivered from certain destruction, from eternal destruction. He made a way for us, a miraculous way through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God made that road. No man could build a road to, to everlasting life. All men are building roads through religious gyrations and through religious mantras, and they're, they're doing their best somehow to, to try to attain to, to eternal uh, uh, goodness and, and, and to eternal reward by what they do. But the Scripture says none of that matters. All of those roads will lead to a place called the judgment seat of God. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All those other roads are going to go to God the judge, but the road that God built to us called the Lord Jesus Christ will take us all the way to the Father. Hallelujah. You've been judged because of Jesus right Righteous, holy, blameless, and above reproach. What a great salvation. No longer, you don't have to expect that looming destruction ahead. You don't have to expect everything to come crashing down on you on the end. No, no, no. Old things are passed away. All things have been made new. Hallelujah. Be looking for the grace. Be looking for it because that's yours. The grace of God is yours. David said, I look back, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As Pastor Brandon said, look behind you and see that those blessings are chasing you down. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has eradicated sin and its power over us. It is now rendered powerless. Amen. He became that curse. And every curse that was against us, the curse of sin was broken. Hallelujah. And every blessing of God continued to flow through to all of us. I mean, that's an extraordinary love. That's an extraordinary grace. It's a great salvation that we have received through him. And just as he had those children of Israel to set their sights on that place of promise, so he's given us his promises. And all of them today, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all of God's promises are in him, yes and amen. You have an inheritance now. Hallelujah. Not just heaven. Now, heaven's great. Praise God. But you have an inheritance right now on this earth. Every good thing, every good thing comes down. The scripture says we know that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. The scripture also says that he has given us richly all things to enjoy. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad I came to church so far. At Red Sea opening for us. 
This story is here so that we can remember we're not who we used to be. We no longer identify with being slaves of sin, sold into bondage. But now we're not slaves any, any longer. No, we're sons. And if we're sons, then we are heirs. Heirs of God with Christ. All right, lastly, we've got to discover Jesus. Now, I mean, you see, you already to see him there, don't we? I mean, we're to see him there. But we've got to go back a couple of chapters to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now, when God commanded Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and if he wouldn't do it, then he would inflict the land with plagues. Those plagues were the plague of blood, where all the water turned to blood, the plague of frogs, Frogs came up out of the rivers and into the homes of the people. The plagues of a plague of lice, ugh. plague of flies, plague of of, of a pestilence that, that affected all the livestock and killed them. Uh, plague of boils, where people broke out with boils all over the place. The the plague of hail, and along with that hail, there was fire that came down and and destroyed crops. And then whatever crops were left over, the plague of locusts came in and ate up every green leaf and every green plant throughout the entire land. I mean, this place was a war zone. But Pharaoh would not would not give. He wouldn't let him go. He just, the scripture says he just kept hardening his heart. Just kept hardening his heart. He just kept getting, getting more defiant against Israel as his whole nation was crumbling all around him. And then there was this plague of darkness. The plague of darkness was, was an interesting plague in that the scripture says it's going to be so dark that they're going to feel the darkness. And for three days, it was completely dark in Egypt. But over in Goshen, which was right next to there where the children of Israel were, they had light. The very beginning, God divided the light from the dark on day one. And here we see that representation. Somehow God made a wall between the darkness and the light. And the children of Israel had the light of day. And all of Egypt is covered in darkness. But then this last and final plague that finally broke Pharaoh's will was the plague of death of the firstborn of every family and of every animal that was there. Look at verse 12 of Exodus 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why it's called Passover. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Jump down to verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. So he said, basically, drain the lamb of its blood into a basin, take some hyssop, and which is a kind of a um, leafy shrub, some kind of plant. Anyway, and dip it in that blood. And then this is what he said. And, and uh, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the doorpost. The lintel being the top part of the doorway, bam, and then the doorpost of each side. And as the blood ran down, you see the picture of the cross, God's salvation story uh, right there. In an, an illustration, look at this. Uh, called for, uh, verse 22, the doorpost and 
and with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. When I see the blood, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's interesting that through all of these plagues, the first nine, the children of Israel were protected from their effects without doing anything about it. God just simply watched over them. God just simply protected them and kept them from those plagues, being affected by those plagues. But this 10th plague, they, they had a part to play in it. And that part was this, that you believe the command of the Lord and that you take that blood and you put it on your doorpost and your lentil, and you also believe that by doing that, your life would be spared from death. It required faith on their part. It didn't, it didn't re- listen to me, of all the things that God could have told the children of Israel to do to escape that plague of death. You think about it. He could have said, you need to stay up all night and fast and pray. He didn't tell them to do that. Although they might have. Just out of fear. You need to confess all your sins and get all the secret sins out. Because if the angel that shows up and there's still one out in there, it's over for you. Just in case. Just in case. You need to repent and make everything right because when that angel of death comes through, there ain't nothing I can do about it. No, 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 no. He didn't tell him to do any of that. He said, apply. The blood. Apply the blood. Apply the blood. And as the angel of death descended upon the land of Egypt that night, he made his way from house to house, meticulously inflicting death on the firstborn of every family and of every animal throughout the land. And there was no respect of nationality. There was no respect of age. There was no respect of color, of race. There was no respect of economic situations. There was none of that. The angel of death was coming to their house and there was nothing they could do about it. Every home entrance that was not sprinkled with that blood became the epitome of death's door. But those that had that blood, that lamb's blood, sprinkled on their doorposts and on their lintel. It was a huge, neon, bright, flashing, do not enter sign to that angel of death. And he simply passed over those homes. Why? Because only the blood has the power to turn death away. And for centuries, the blood of the Passover lamb would be a continual solemn remembrance uh, of that fateful night when God looked on the blood and passed over the children of Israel. Fathers and mothers would tell their children and teach them the Passover, and then they would pass that on from generation to generation. But all of it was symbolic. 
All of it was really symbolic. It was all types and shadows of the real thing. It was all pointing to a hill. It was all pointing to a place called Calvary uh, that, 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 was, that was positioned on the hill of the skull called Golgotha. When this, as Isaiah said, that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And just as the sheep before its shearers is silent, so Jesus did not open up his mouth. He simply let them do to him what they were going to do. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And as they marched him up that hill and they nailed him to that cross, oh, glory to God, and he bled. And this Lamb of God bled and died. That very same Lamb that when John saw him as he stood upon the banks of the River Jordan, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, if the blood of a little lamb could keep people from certain death on that night, don't you know the blood of the Lamb of God could keep you from certain death for the rest of your life and forever and ever and evermore because that blood of that animal could only cover sin. But this blood, consider his blood the blood of the most high God, the blood of the son of the living God who would once for all take away our sins, removing the sting of death, taking away the curse, hallelujah, taking sin's power, eradicating sin's power, removing it forever, not only forgiving it, but forgetting about it, hallelujah. He said, I will remember it no more. And that blood speaks for us. They couldn't speak for themselves that night. They couldn't cry enough tears. They couldn't be desperate enough. They couldn't repent enough. They couldn't say they were sorry enough. No, the blood was the only thing that could speak for them. The blood is the only thing that can speak for us. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. And by faith in him. How do do we apply his blood to us? We believe. That Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. I love that news. I love that good news. How wonderful it is to simply believe on him and receive everlasting life. What a gift. What a love. What a grace. What a salvation. That's what makes this news actual good news. There's no strings attached to this good news like you hear in this world. Huh? How many of you have been jaded by the world's good news? Hmm? That's why we come up with phrases that sounds too good to be true. And if it sounds too good to be true, but the good news is, it sounds, too, think of the gospel, it sounds too good to be true. It just sounds too good. It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. It sounds too good to be true. And it's still true. It's still true. When we all believe that Jesus is our only way to salvation. Hmm? We'll quit trying to be good and do good for the man upstairs. Hmm? No, we'll fully trust in him because there's nothing outside of him that can save us. As that scripture was said, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. But the scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want us all for just a moment, if we would bow our heads, please. If you're here today 
and you're away from God and you know it. You know that you're not in a relationship with Him. You've never fully, really received His free gift of salvation for you. You've never confessed that Jesus died for your sins. You've never accepted that for yourself. Listen to me. Don't waste one more day outside the good news. Receive this good news today. Receive this salvation. It's free for you. It's not about church membership or doing the right thing. This is about believing on Jesus, applying the blood to your life. And by doing that, securing an everlasting future of life and peace with God. Only Jesus could do that for us. We were broken and lost. Adam sinned, and as a result of that, everybody born after him was born into sin. You were just born that way. But praise God, God made a way for you to be reborn, to be born again. That is, through the Spirit, by simple faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I need you to pray for me. I'm away from God and I know it. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm insecure. I don't know Him and I, and I, and I don't know uh, if I were to die right now, if I'd go to heaven. I want to know. Listen to me. You can leave here today knowing that you know because God loves you. And He's done everything He can through His Son to bring you into eternal life with Him. And if you're here today and say, please pray for me, that's what I want, Pastor Eric. I want... I want that. I want to be saved today. I want to know that when I close my eyes in death, death on this earth, that I will wake up in heaven. I will immediately be with him. Or maybe you're here today, and you kind of like the story that's, that's found, uh, what Jesus told about the prodigal son. You know God. You've been with God, but you've walked away. You've been going your own way, making your own decisions, living life simply for yourself. And today, you just need to turn around and come back to Him. Today, you need to make a change. Today, you need to change your mind. You need Him in your life. And you're recognizing that right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, say, Pastor Eric, please pray for me. I'm just away from God, but I want to come back to Him today. I want to come back to Him. I, I need Him in my life. Father, I thank You for all of these that are here today. Lord, bless this church. Bless these families here, these men, these women, these children. Father, I thank You that every home here, I declare over them, that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. Lord, even as we go into this week, help, it, help us to remember, let it, let it ring in our ears. The miracle is in my hand. And the scripture says that whatever we set our hands to do as your children shall prosper. I thank you that your people shall prosper this week. They shall come up. They shall increase. They shall be promoted. They shall walk in health and wholeness in the name of Jesus because they've been delivered from all of that bondage. They've been delivered from sickness because he bore their sickness. They've been delivered from that grief and pain because that's what Jesus bore. They've been delivered from, from, from uh, shame and guilt. And I thank you, Father God, that today they walk out of here freer than they ever have been before, Lord, that they'll keep their eyes open and their heart ready for that miracle that's in their hand, Lord, that they'll meditate on these things and realize that they are walking miracles. Lord, that we as your sons in this earth are need to be heard. The power of God needs to be demonstrated in our lives, the gospel demonstrated to this broken, dying, sighing, crying humanity. Father, help us to be faithful stewards of that which you have given us. I thank you that you've made everyone here able ministers <laughs> because the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in them. They are blessed of God. I declare all of their children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. 
and the blood of Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant, cleanses them and covers their lives. In the name of Jesus, we thank you that you always give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.